For the week of August 15th, 2021, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 552, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And in Tarzana, California, I'm Michael Giltz. Why are you in Tarzana, California? Which, by the way, was named. Do you know why Tarzana, California? Was named Tarzana because that is where the studio was located, which filmed the Tarzan movies. So they filmed Tarzan right there, and so they named it Tarzana. Not quite. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs bought his home out in the middle of nowhere. A community sprang up around him, and they incorporated as Tarzana, California. It's not where the movies were shot, any of them, but it's where his ranch was, and a town built up around him, and then they officially became Tarzana, California. And if you want to learn more stuff like that, this was not a setup, go to Jeff Boucher, our friend Jeff Boucher's podcast. It's called Mindspace. It's at heavymetal.com, or you can look for Jeff Boucher Mindspace wherever podcasts are offered up. Episode 44 is all about Tarzan. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' birthday was coming up, and Jeff Boucher had me on the show to talk about all things Tarzan. And well, you know so, what? I'm going to go over to the IHOP over in Tarzana, where that whole story about how they shot the movies there and the TV show there is is on the wall, and I'm going to have to take my magic marker and start crossing stuff out, so I got to go. In fact, Part of the first Tarzan movie was shot in Sherwood Forest out in California. So that's kind of head hurting. Wait, Sherwood Forest? That's Robin Hood. Yeah, so that's a lot of cool stuff about the movies and how dated they are. Will Tarzan come back? We just had the hit Disney animated version, but it's been a long time since there was a good live action. That's That's like 30 years old, that movie. 22. 22 years old. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, 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 you know, it's old enough to drink. It's a property that's over a hundred years old. So, you know, the first books came out in the 1910s. So to have still a hundred years later, uh, a movie come out and be successful, that's kind of cool. But yes, there you go. So all things Tarzan, go to Jeff Boucher's Mindspace, check it out. If I was on that show every week, I could correct myself, but I made a mistake and it's driving me nuts and they don't have a spot for that. But I said that Edgar Rice Burroughs worked on a ranch during an influenza outbreak uh, of the Spanish flu, but that's not true. It was actually an influenza outbreak of 1891. Uh, so that's when he like left Chicago to say, oh, I better get out of here and went to his brother's ranch and worked. He did all sorts of odd jobs. The interesting thing about that is, yes, Spanish flu of 1918, an influenza outbreak in 1891 that had him fleeing the city. Pandemics happen all the time. This is not something new. We are going to have to deal with this forever. <laughs> you know, They've been all over the world. We've been lucky in the U.S. for the last 30, 40, 50 years that we haven't had to deal with this stuff for a while. But you know, we had polio. We, you know, there's always stuff to deal with. So you just got to get in the mindset. This is not something that goes away, never deal with again. Now, know. I'm reading the book Out of the Flames. Do you know mm-hmm. this book by Lawrence Goldstone? No. I'm not uh, sure I do. And it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a nonfiction book uh, that basically is about Michael Servetus, uh, you know, and the book that he wrote and how, you know, he, he wrote this, this book about religion. I mean, it, it is so scholarly. But what is it, what is it about? I don't know who the other book. guy is who wrote the other book. Out of the flame. Uh, Michael Servetus, basically about how printing uh, was born and how it oh, started yeah, yeah, spreading yeah. knowledge. And how Michael Servetus, who wrote this religious book that was considered sacrilegious, that he was burned at the stake for. Oh, uh, so, and sure, how the, yeah. the book was saved uh, from, you know, not, I don't want to say obscurity, but literally saved into existence. And how it basically is how, you know... Uh, 
the Christian religion is somehow looked at now. I haven't finished the book, so I can't tell you what the rest of it is about. <laughs> well, sounds cool. That came out first in like the early 2000s, just around the time of Tarzan, which came out in 1999 by Lawrence Goldstone, Out of the Flames, in paperback now. Very exciting. It's a but the reason I, I mentioned that mm-hmm. is he goes all the way back into the 1400s, 1500s, and he talks about, well, this pope was over here and that emperor was over there. Oh, but he had to leave because of uh, the plague showed up. Like, oh, yes. Every exactly. once in a while, they kind of mention the, oh, but they had to leave because a, a plague showed up. We don't know which plague, but it was a plague. And so we yeah. had to leave town. Yeah, we're lucky now we have vaccines. So it's not the end of the world when there's a new pandemic. However, I feel like it was the end of the world when I saw this headline coming through the trades. Somebody sent out an email flash alert. Sonic the Hedgehog 2. So they're making a new movie. Sonic okay. the Hedgehog 2, Idris Elba to play Knuckles. I'm like, oh, for the love of God. <laughs> like, yeah, that just sounds like Idris Elba. Great actor. He's like, he's going to play Knuckles in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Maybe the movie will be great. Maybe you love Sonic the Hedgehog, but oh, God. That just, like, does Idris Elba really have to play Knuckles in Sonic the Hedgehog 2? I mean, have we come to this? He wasn't well, he supposed to be James Bond. Well, he hasn't worked in a year, so maybe he's like, you know what? I got to make up for lost time. And how much are you willing to pay? Yeah, how many zeros on that? Yes, I will definitely. <laughs> Knuckles, you say? You don't want me to be the whole finger? I'll be the whole finger for that price. I don't think that's the end of the world. It could be great. I'm sure he'll be fun in it. But it's the end of the world as far as I'm concerned for the news Sperling has to share. No episode next week. And it's all that's his right. fault. It is all my fault. And actually, I blame the National Association of Theater Owners. And do you know why? Why? Because they are holding CinemaCon next week, instead of in April, when it usually is. You know why we didn't have it in April this year, of course. Plague. Or no, just, you know, pandemic, I should mm-hmm. say. Not plague. Yeah. Uh, and so it wasn't held in April this year. They moved it to August when we thought things would be better. And uh, um, unfortunately, they're not necessarily great. But there, is, there are vaccines now, which helps. Uh, so it's next week, all week. It'll be a very interesting week to see who shows up. Disney will not be as they well, Disney will show up with a movie. They're not sending any executives. Ah, well, Idris Elba, of course, has been working in the past year. In 2019, he was McCavity in Cats, which he'd probably want us to forget. But since then, he's been uh, in the TV series in the long run. He joined that in uh, in uh, uh, the season 2020. He was in Concrete Cowboy, which is on streaming. He, of course, he's in The Suicide Squad, which just opened uh, to, to good reviews two weeks ago. He, and he's got like five movies coming up. The Harder They Fall, which is not a remake of the reggae classic. 3,000 Years of Longing. Yes, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which apparently is in post-production. Oh, he's just doing the voice of Knuckles. And a film called Beast and a film called Luther, where he plays John Luther. Is that set during the Reformation? Uh, no, it's not. It's inspired by the TV series Luther. So that's the, the, the TV show that he did, and they're making a film spinoff of it. So that's cool. Um, but there you go. That's what the world is talking about. There won't be a show next week. So this week's going to be really good, isn't it, Sperling? What will we talk about? On this week's episode of Showbiz Sandbox, we will be talking about the Reformation, because I was incredibly <laughs> impressed how you pulled the word Luther. Martin Luther, of course, was one of the, you know, he he started the Reformation. And do you know the name of the conference? I'm going to CinemaCon, but the name of the conference under which the Reformation began with Martin Luther. I mean, when he nailed the theses to the wall? Sort of, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Tell me. The Diet of Worms. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The Diet of Worms. Well done. Well done. Yes. That, that could be a Jeopardy question. That, that, that could be a Jeopardy. We'll get to Jeopardy later, but what else are we going to talk about? Well, we've got another winner for Disney. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about. And that would be Free Guy 
starring Ryan Reynolds. And we've got another loser. And that would be Disney and Disney Earnings Call starring Bob Chapek. Okay, so I guess what would we call it? The movie Disney's Earnings Call? Maybe, maybe. Earnings Call? Yeah, okay. Well, first, European film festivals are suddenly falling all over themselves to rehabilitate actor Johnny Depp. UK courts said it was basically accurate for the Daily Mail to call Depp a wife beater since he kind of said, yes, I threw a phone at her, and so thus, you know. Uh, But then the San Sebastian Film Festival thinks Depp needs a Lifetime Achievement Award, and we'll discuss why. On Inside Baseball, we will go deeper into Disney's unforced errors and why it's news about sequels to Corella and Free Guy are in direct response to that Black Widow lawsuit coming from Scarlett Johansson. Of course, Chapek's comments about the next Marvel movie are just a hot mess, even if it wasn't meant to be. I mean, we know, Bob, you didn't mean to say it that way, but come on, you got to be a little bit more like us. Immediately admit, hey, uh, you know what? That sounded better in my head. And clueless uh, is being clueless is part of the problem. Yes, well, of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines, and we will do so by stating them as questions. But first, (laughs) as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. We've got box office from around the world. We've got a link to ComScore in our show notes. We pull information from everywhere we can. We've got about 20 movies listed here, so we won't go through them all. Check them out. But the number one movie around the world is, in fact, Free Guy. $51 million it made worldwide on its opening week. It cost maybe $125 million to make, which sounds on the low end to me because it looks kind of expensive. It does, but remember, there's only 80% of the movie theaters open in in uh, the country right now, in North America. What's okay, and I realize that's budget, only North the America. Budget, the budget, I said the budget seems low. $125 million oh, oh, oh. budget seems awfully low to me for this big of a movie starring Ryan Reynolds. He alone's got to get $20 million, right? No, not not at all. Not for this type of movie. No, what do you mean especially this type? it's a big expensive summer blockbuster tentpole type movie hoping to launch a series. It's yeah, not an art it, house movie. No, it's about a but, video game. Yeah, I, I don't think it costs two hundred million dollars. There's, no, I, I mean, well, they're claiming a hundred to one hundred and fifteen million. I said to heck with that, and I named it one hundred and twenty-five million. But there you well, go. Think about and, it this way. If it is $115 million, they still have to clear $230 million before they even break even. Oh, $350 million would be our, our rule of thumb. Well, correct, triple yes. the budget because you got P&A and all that. Well, anyway, it does have a 45-day exclusive in theaters. Huzzah! They think there's value in theaters while people can still go. And given that there has not been a single big outbreak pegged to theaters anywhere in the world, there have been outbreaks pegged to restaurants, to bars, to concerts, to all sorts of events, but not movie theaters. If you sit in your seat and you wear a mask, you can be okay. And of course, in New York, starting this week, you have to show proof of vaccination. Yet another reason why theaters can hopefully remain open and people can do it safely. So far, they have been able to. Free Guy made $51 million on its opening week. That's good news. The Suicide Squad, that made $46 million this week. It's also available on HBO Max. It's at about $120 million worldwide. And number three is Raging Fire, that Hong Kong thriller starring Donnie Yen. That made another $40 million. That's having a good hold. It's now at $120 million worldwide. Jungle Cruise, starring Dwayne Johnson. Is he a happy camper at Disney? The movie made $32 million this week. It's at $150 million worldwide. It's already available on, is it available on premium video on demand, right? Yes, Yes. it is. And it's going to be available on regular video on demand just 30 days after the movie came out. Starting August 31st, that's going to be available for like five bucks. 
So there you go. Uh, and you this know what? Week, they right just now, announced it today, and it just oh, dropped forty-five okay. percent from last week. So yeah. it dropped it from worldwide. It dropped forty-five percent. It probably, you know, it's usually a little hard to tell that sort of stuff because you could open up in ten new territories and increase, but actually not do that well. In this case, I don't think it really opened up anywhere, especially, and it did fall forty-five percent. F nine that made twenty million dollars this week. That's approaching seven hundred million dollars worldwide. Now we have another new movie uh, along with Free Guy. It's Don't Breathe Two, another horror flick. The sequel made fourteen million dollars on its opening week. It cost about fifteen million dollars to make, so that's a win. <laughs> a Chinese film is next upcoming summer. That faux romance that turns real—at least that's how the trailer makes it look to me. That made another thirteen million dollars this week. It's at fifty million dollars worldwide. Space Jam is about $150 million. Old hit $75 million. Respect is another new movie. That's Jennifer Hudson playing Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul. That cost a, a lot of money to make. It got a very big push. It made about $9 million on its opening week. Not great. Not a disaster. We'll have to see if it has legs. And, of course, it has the whole rest of the world to open in. Aretha is a worldwide star. Well, you know, it's a biopic. We'll have to see if it catches fire. Uh, a mixed opening, I would say, for that movie. Certainly, they got all the press and attention they could ask for. Uh, another new movie opened up, this one in South Korea. It's called Sinkhole. It's a disaster comedy. A family finally moves into their new home. All their friends come for the housewarming party, and the house collapses and sinks into this giant sinkhole, and they spend the rest of the movie trying to get out before flooding waters kill them all. So it's a disaster comedy. Hilarious. It opened to $6 million, which immediately makes it I think one of the three or four highest grossing South Korean films of the year, because not many movies like that have opened up. It's the second highest weekend of the year for South Korea. Oh, there you go. Paw Patrol opened up. Paw Patrol the movie did well in some overseas territories. It opened to $6 million, though the reviews, not so kind. Snake Eyes has been falling hard. Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, that made another $6 million this week. It's at $35 million worldwide. It's now available on premium video on demand after 32 days roughly in the theater. And scrolling down, I don't think there's anything else new big to say except Black Widow towards the bottom. It's like Disney kicked it when it was down. This movie had another big drop from last week. It dropped 90% worldwide from last week down to $2 million. It's at $360 million worldwide. I don't know if there are any big territories left to open. I don't really think so. China. They don't have a, well, they don't have a Chinese release date yet. So, and they're not going to get one, and here's why. Yeah, um, mo most movie theaters in the eastern side of China are shut down oh. uh, due to the pandemic and a mm -hmm. growing uh, you know, COVID uh, outbreak there in Nanjing. Mm -hmm. And the low-risk areas, they have 75% capacity right. limits, and so they've lowered the, the number of showtimes. They have delayed most uh, of the ch big Chinese blockbusters have been delayed. So mm -hmm. the same thing that happens in the in the West here, where we delay movies like Bond, same thing is happening in China. Now you that they, there you is, think they let Black Widow open up just to keep the lights on. Well, you can be the one to suffer and get a crappy opening. Exactly, that's you what know? I would have done. Yeah, let's put something in the theaters, but maybe they don't want to encourage people to go to the movies too much. Here in North yeah. America, people are going to the movies. The Anthony Bourdain doc Roadrunner, which I assume will be airing on CNN. Is that a CNN documentary? Actually, I don't know, uh, but don't it hit know. $5 million, which is a lot for a documentary. Summer of Soul has passed $2 million. That's great to see. The New York City mandate begins this week. You want to go to a movie theater or indoor dining at a restaurant or a gym or a theater or whatever, you got to show proof of vaccination. I got mine in my wallet. And here's good news, I think. The theater chain AMC and Warner Brothers 
agreed to a 45-day window for a bunch of upcoming movies. Was that welcomed with open arms by exhibitors? Are they resigned or happy with a 45-day window, or are their heads still spinning from all the different variations? It's uh, the latter. Their heads are still spinning from all the different variations, but the reality is everybody you know, was a little... Like, why is this 45-day window news when Regal announced the same thing just in in March? So it's not as if AMC was going to come along and say, hey, Regal, we beat you. We got a 60-day exclusive theatrical win. Everybody knew that Warner Brothers was going to offer everyone a 45-day window. But so, now another chain has said yes, so that's a that's a good thing, isn't it? In terms of it's not a 30-day window, they might well, have reneged yes. on there. They might have reneged on Regal and gone back to them and said, hey, you know what? We can't do 45 days. I mean, that wasn't a forever for the rest of our lives deal with Regal, was it? No, it was, uh, Just a you know, 2022. pandemic, right? No? No, it was a 2022 offering, basically. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, you figured others would come on board, but they are. So it's just one more big chain saying, yes, we're happy with that 45-day window. We can make a deal with that. You won't have to go back to Regal, uh, you know. So uh, I, I think it's a good thing. I think 45 days makes sense. Why would they choose 45 days? Because that's where the money leads you to go. It's like it makes sense. You can make most of your money in 45 days. We've got the receipts to prove it. Well, <laughs> just if you want to know box what- office. Well, and if you want to know why there's a 90% worldwide drop, at least here in North America, Black Widow is now available uh, on Apple Plus. So you can get it on Apple, you can get it on VOD for $30, mind you, but that means you can get it and you can see it without being a Disney Plus subscriber already. So of course, given the pandemic and what's going on with the Delta variant, people are if, staying home. If, and you're saying, in a big, if you're in a big city, you can pay $30 at the box office or you can just sit at home. Right. Right. If you're in a smaller town, of course, that adds up. Or if I go to a drive-in, I can see Black Widow and something else for $8. But there aren't so many drive-ins left in the world, are there? No. And what I would say is that at least on Apple and I believe Amazon, the $30, it says buy. It doesn't say ah. It doesn't say rent. Well, I so guess you're you buying it for $30. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, remakes, reboots. They're doing a Sonic the Hedgehog 2. That's a sequel. And Waterworld, the TV series. <laughs> I love this. A sequel to the film that was didn't do so bad. It just cost too much money to be considered a hit. Got terrible reviews. But by God, it's timely, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, the reason they did this is they said, we won't even have to build a set this time. <laughs> so we got some pandemic news about all the big festivals. Are you planning to go to any festival? Because we know that Coachella and Stagecoach are going to require proof of vaccination. In fact, AEG, one of the top concert promoters, they are going to be requiring that proof of vaccination for all concert goers at all AEG live events. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to do that, but... First it's of all, easy. You walk up to the door, you show your proof of vaccination card. It's not hard. You need to show your ID to show your ticket. It's super simple. If they want to stop scalping, they want to be proof of vaccination, show us your card. I have a copy. You can go to a Kinko's and for two bucks, get two copies made wallet size because you don't want to carry your vaccination or a card around. You want to go to Kinko's or someplace. You spend $2, they will shrink it down to wallet size and laminate it for you like your, like your driver's license. You slip it into your wallet. You've got it everywhere you need to go. Simple and easy. Yeah, um, uh, and you can even buy one on eBay, and that's part of the problem. But that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast. You can you can get a fake ID as well. Big deal. Yes, you can <laughs> you can lie and then kill everybody. Wonderful. Or you can live in the real world where most people aren't going to bother. They'll just you want to go to a concert, you get jabbed or you don't go. Yes, you well, can so take it. I mean, your mom you is not going to. Yeah, you know. Well, look, 
you asked if I was going to go to any festivals. I am going to the Sarajevo Film Festival this week, in fact. <laughs> oh, how nice. Why did you decide to go there? Uh, because, uh, well, first of all, of course, uh, they always have great films there. And so they made made them available to me, which I I screen, you know, I darken the room, I get the good ah, sound system, you know, I, I I basically make it like a real cinema would be. Uh, when the kids come, I I put the duct tape on, around them and duct tape them to the chairs in another room. You do you know. make do you make yourself stand outside in a line and wait to get into the movie at the last second? And they I say, do oh, because that makes. I hope that makes the movie better to me because then I'm like, oh my God, I hope I get in. I hope I get in. Oh, am I going to get in? Oh, I'm the last one in. So are you covering the Sarajevo Film Festival as a journalist, as a uh, a virtual journalist? Yeah, I just did, didn't I? You did. Okay, that's great. That's cool. I wish more would continue to do that. Toronto is sort of offering that this year, not for every film. There are some big movies that they can't make available virtually, but a lot of movies will be the stuff, especially that you'd want to cover that isn't widely available elsewhere. I didn't get in this year, but I, I'm glad to see they do that. And I hope they continue. I know Khan will never do that probably, but nope. many others can and should. New York Film Festival should do it. I don't know if AR, TIFF is doing it. I hope they continue to do it. Helps people who are maybe challenged, can't afford to travel to a city to do to cover a film festival, but can provide good, solid coverage. They should do it. What about the San Sebastian Film Festival in Spain? We go to that or the Carlavi Vari International Film Festival in the Czech Republic? You know what? I don't know. Maybe I should apply to San Sebastian if they're doing it remotely. Uh, but no, I, I, I don't have plans right now. I don't know if they're doing it remotely, but they are honoring Johnny Depp. Both film festivals, first San Sebastian and then Karlavi, or one or the other, I forget which came first, said, ah, we're giving Johnny Depp a lifetime achievement. And you're like, I wonder what prompted that. Uh, and then, of course, there was a backlash, and the San Sebastian head said, look, Johnny Depp has not been arrested, charged, nor convicted of any form of assault or violence against women, end quote. So that's the new standard. If you're not in jail, we'll give you a lifetime achievement award and honor you. <laughs> it's like, you know. That's that's not the standard for being in the Hall of Fame or being honored, especially, you know, uh, uh, the, you know last year, the f- opening night film at San Sebastian directed by Woody Allen. <laughs> so they've yeah. got a good, basically, these festivals are happy to have a big star like Johnny Depp show up. He's willing to show up because he wants to burnish his image. They don't give a damn about that stuff. And they're happy to have him there because he's a big star and fans will flock there and they won't care. So it's a win win for both of them. It's just a loss for you know decency. Yeah, well, you know, and uh, yeah, and you know what, Johnny, when you're there, maybe don't do an own, you know, tr- try to avoid own goals, okay? <laughs> what about uh, Britney Spears? Are you going to become her new conservator? I was asked, but then when I found out what the job required and it was so much time and effort and energy, and I said, you know what, unfortunately, I won't be able to do this uh, for you, but uh, I can recommend a few people. And no, I'm not going to become her new conservative. What do you you think? I'm first on their list? Well, her father is stepping down angrily. Is that fine? I'll leave. But I did great. (laughs) So that's a bizarre, bizarre story. But I bet it sent some people to watch that New York Times doc and some of the other stuff about Britney Spears that you can see online, which brings us to our streaming notes. Nielsen reports on streaming numbers every week for Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Hulu, and Netflix. This just covers in-home viewing. It doesn't cover if you're watching in-home on a laptop or on your phone and some other stuff, but it's the best they can do right now. And the combined chart this week comes not from courtesy of me putting it together, but Hollywood Reporter. They too said, you know what? We want an overall top 10. And when you look at the overall top 10 for mid-July, 
We're covering the week of July 12th through July 18th. It takes about a month to get these numbers. I don't know why. But anyway, when you look at that, you see that the number one property in streaming in that mid-July was Virgin River, a Netflix series. Season three dropped 2.1 billion minutes viewed. It's a midwife in a small town based on a, a novel or perhaps a series of novels. And season three is a big, big hit for Virgin. That's an original series. Season three just dropped, and boy, it did great. Two billion minutes viewed. Manifest is still doing great. That's an acquired series from NBC. That's getting new life and probably a new season. They'll announce that any minute now. But the seasons that are available are on Netflix. Another 1.3 billion minutes viewed last week. That was enough to be number one for four weeks in a row, and it's still doing really, really well. Same with Loki on Disney+. Plus. Season one has been on the air. They've been dropping episode after episode. It's been growing and growing pretty consistently. This week, for the first time, that passed one billion minutes. One good reason? There's more episodes available. So more people have more episodes to watch. You can rack up more numbers. You only got two episodes to, to watch. It's hard to get to a billion minutes, but now you've got eight episodes or whatever that are now available in mid-July, or maybe they hit the season finale by then. So more episodes to watch, more to do. Grey's Anatomy's up there. Coco Melon, Atypical. That's a new series. Uh, season four dropped on Netflix. 603 million minutes viewed. And Gunpowder Milkshake. The highest grossing, uh, grossing, highest viewed movie property. Gunshotter Milkshake is an action thriller. It's available on Netflix. It's an original movie. 543 million minutes reviewed. And Luca, the movie that went straight to Disney Plus, that also is doing very well. 521 million minutes. So half of the content in the combined top 10 is original. The other half are acquired. But it's very clear if you want to be a player, it really helps to have original properties like Virgin River and Loki, and Luca, and Gunpowder Milkshake, and stuff like that. You want well, original I, I, content. I'm, and I'm noticing that Apple Plus isn't on here. Apple TV Plus, or whatever it's called. Uh, right. And I, I do wonder about that, because of course, Ted Lasso was their big release uh, three or four weeks ago. Uh, and I think it was four weeks ago. So that would have started to show up right about now. You're right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Now, Tomorrow War, of course, that was a big movie that debuted on Amazon, and that was on the chart last week. It's still in the top 10 for movies, but it's down to number four. So 413 million minutes viewed this week. So you can see Luca has had great word of mouth. Luca continues to do really well. Black Widow, that's above uh, Tomorrow War. That's at 444 million minutes viewed on Disney+. Plus. Tomorrow War is at number four. And there's these Fear Street movies on Netflix. There's three of them, parts one, two, and three combined. It'd be fun to know something like that. There's three different movies, but they're all sort of linked together. They're in different eras, like literally different centuries almost. It would be fun to know like how many people watched all three, how many people watched just the first one. How many people watched the first one, then 10 minutes of the second one and stopped? That's the sort of detail the creators and the producers would love to know. Netflix ain't telling. <laughs> yeah, they're certainly not. No, they're certainly not. So that's cool. That's interesting to check out. Um, but, uh, you know, it's important. We want as many minutes. I wish everyone would sign on. Hulu, of course, has a Paul McCartney documentary called 321 McCartney or maybe McCartney 321. I'm not sure what the order is. But it's Rick Rubin, the producer, sitting with Paul and just sitting in a studio playing Beatles music and pulling down individual tracks on the recording. So like just the vocals or just the drums, just the bass. And they talk about it and listen to it and just chat about the Beatles and music and Paul's solo stuff. If you're a Beatles fan, it's awesome. 
I mean, it's ramshackle. It's crazy. It's all over the place. Rick Rubin plays like a wide-eyed fanboy. It sort of gets a little annoying after he's like, wow, yeah, wow. You know, but that's his vibe, I guess, when he's with these artists. That's how he pulls out great stuff from them. And it ultimately is a good interview. It's about three hours long, six episodes. I recommend you watch two episodes at a time. Only if you're really a big fan. If you're not a big fan of the Beatles, you're better off watching something like the Anthology or A Hard Day's Night if you want to see what they're about. This is if you love the Beatles, you love their music as you should, then I found it obsessive and enjoyable from start to finish. Well, the Beatles were glad a you big enjoyed it. The Beatles were a big band, by the way. Big. Uh, big. Uh, very big. Huge. Huge. Girls huge. would whoop every time they saw them. Whoop, I say. Yeah, they, they, they were even big in China. You see, I was doing the huge China. I'm, I'm doing big and whoop. I'm doing everything I can to get oh, you to big deal, yeah, big yeah. I, I know, I know. I, but I was trying to do my, my impersonation, the one impersonation oh, that people I say those. I do well. Yeah, it, yeah. Is that is that the one you do well? Yeah, you know. Uh, well, you know what? Since, since apparently my impersonation didn't really go over very well, uh, it is time for Big Deal or Big Whoop. Big Deal or Big Whoop is our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and we tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Here's our first story. What is the game show that has two new hosts? Not one, but two new hosts. Sort of. Sort of, yeah. Well, the game show Jeopardy has a new host and it isn't Michael. Although what? it is Mike. Uh, Mike okay, Richards. You can, call, you can call me. Oh, it's not me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, the executive producer is now the official host of the game show. He, you know, went out, looked for a, a, uh, a host, and he said, oh, my God, you know what? Then I looked in the mirror, and there was the perfect host. And when I started talking to him, he agreed. Go figure. Hey, you know, who among us hasn't, uh, you know, cost our former bosses $7 million in payouts for pregnancy discrimination lawsuits, which, by the way, is what uh, Mike Richards, there was a big kerfuffle about this. Also joining uh, the team is- isn't the right word. <laughs> well, my, my, I don't know how to, I always struggle to pronounce Mayim Bialik's name. Mayim Bialik. Mayim. Okay. It's Mayim Bialik. Think- uh, she is the star or was the star of the Big Bang Theory. And she has been on and off an anti-vaxxer, as you might know. Uh, she has came out uh, so because, and I mentioned this because, of course, as soon as it was announced, all of the protests about, hey, she's an anti-vaxxer. And she had to say, no, I wrote a book 10 years ago. And yeah, now my no, kids are vaccinated. No, I no, just... she's been all over the place on this issue. She, she's not defended herself well. She embraces junk science over and over again, like naturopathy. Uh, she's pushing I don't even know what that is. She's it's it's BS, is what it is. She's selling a supplement online that can enhance brain function. You know, she embraces. She's got a, a fancy, advanced degree. Good for her, but she spends a lot of time embracing junk science and junk people who are pushing junk science on her podcast and other stuff. She has done a lot of damage over the years encouraging me i'm not sure about these vaccine stuff so she's got a lot of issues it's not washed away by the fact that thank goodness she now says well my kids are vaccinated for covid glad to hear it but that doesn't erase the decades long you know disinformation campaign that she's embraced for a bunch of junk anyway not a great host (laughs) well bialik will be hosting primetime specials like a college tournament and a potential spinoff so maybe Doc Oz wasn't so bad after all. I mean, you know, he has like the least amount of uh, controversy surrounding him. So big deal or big whoop? Uh, it's a big whoop, right? Yeah, the, the guy did fine when he was the guest host. I thought he did well as a host. He got good ratings for lots of complicated reasons. He did it for two weeks and he did it during the warmer months, the, during, the, during the colder months. 
in the middle of the summer during the Olympics, LeVar Burton and others had a lot more competition for viewing or people were out and about, didn't want to sit down and watch TV. The ratings go down in the summer. So it's not an equal comparison. But he did a fine job as the host. His other stuff, I don't know about. The fact that they ended up choosing the guy who's on the show already, who's been a multiple times game show host, not a big shocker to me. But, oh, well, I would have been better. Well, this next story, I think, is a big shocker because New Zealand is Middle Earth. It is the Lord of the Rings. Yes. All six live action films were shot there. I have been on the set, in fact, in Hobbiton in New Zealand. Cool. I felt like a giant. (laughs) Anyway, season one of Amazon's ambitious TV series, The Lord of the Rings, was shot there as well. The New Zealand government just ponied up a substantial increase in the show's tax rebate from 20% to 25%, amounting to a $116 million savings on the nearly half a billion dollar Amazon series. And that's, by the way, half a billion dollars that they've spent so far. And so season two will, of course, be shot in, wait, what? This just in, it's going to be shot in the United Kingdom. What? The cast, yeah, the cast remained in New Zealand for two years thanks to COVID and studio execs couldn't visit the set. Surely that's in the rear view mirror, but some suggest that the restrictions are a factor in why the show is moving. Like Game of Thrones, the show plans on taking advantage of Europe to film all over the place, and much of the cast will be closer to home. So Amazon is foregoing the tax rebate increase and packing up the sets and shipping them to England. But how much postage do you need to pack up the Shire, do you think? Like, you know, (laughs) is that two stamps or one? I'm a little confused. Uh, Big deal or big whoop? Uh, It's a big deal. It's a big blow to New Zealand. I don't think it's their fault. I can't imagine they're reacting now to COVID. And say, well, in the future, we might have to be shut down again. You know, the fact that New Zealand did such a good job is why they could continue to shoot the show and make it available when they are. So they should be thanking New Zealand, not seeing it as a burden. I'm sure it was a pain in the neck for the cast. They were away from their family for like two years. You know, you couldn't go home for Christmas. You couldn't go. Yes, but everybody hopefully is healthy and alive and they could continue to shoot the series. So if God forbid some other plague swept the land, You'd want to be in New Zealand, not England, so you could keep shooting the show and be safe. But my God, imagine the cost of shipping all those sets to England. It's just a. It is lower than the amount of keeping your stars and your cast. There are no stars. There are very few stars on that show. Oh, okay. There are not stars. You know, there are actors and there are some well known people. But believe me, this is not just like Game of Thrones. This is not a show driven by big stars. They're happy to be on the show. They can't put their foot down and they want to be alive, don't they? So any restrictions that New Zealand or the UK does are reasonable ones to keep you alive. It's not to inconvenience you. So they can just shut up. (laughs) But this is like filming James Bond in France. It's crazy that they're not filming in New Zealand. Well, I do know a couple of actors who were cast in Netflix shows uh, in the UK, and they had to, and they were being shot in Ireland, where a lot of stuff is shot, and they had to fly there, spend two weeks in a hotel. Of course, of course. And then do their three day part. Right. And then fly back and, and, yeah, and, then and quarantine. That, in- w- that won't change if they're based in the UK because they want to film all over Europe. They're still going to have all those problems. And well, again, they if they want to well, film in other parts of Europe, surely they thought about that before they positioned the entire series in New Zealand. They weren't planning to do that. So that seems like a poor excuse to me. Well, you know, what they, what they said was, and both of them said this separately, that these like bit parts 
paid them like a month's salary <laughs> for what would have been three yeah. days work. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, it's a big problem. I have friends who work in, in, in a casting director and other people and you gotta, they gotta find people, make sure they're vaccinated, number one, before they can come to New York and work. But yeah, you gotta do all these, you gotta plan for all these contingencies. It's a big, big, difficult thing. You got like a two day roll and it becomes, like you say, three weeks of work. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know whether they'll be shooting in Poland. Uh, <laughs> maybe, but unless you're Tucker Carlson, you really don't really want to, you don't want to live in Hungary, a country which is a democracy in all but name only. I mean, you know, Hungary's been in the headlines lately. Poland is now in the headlines. They're leaning authoritarian too. And it just leaned some more, this time on the media company Discovery. It has a major stake in TVN24, and that is Discovery has a major stake in TVN24, not Poland. And you'll see why that matters in a moment. TVN24 is the leading independent news outlet in the country. In other words, one that can be critical of the government. Now, the lower parliament in Poland has passed a law denying the right of any non-European company to own a stake in that country's media. If it passes the upper house, Discovery will lose out on a major investment and the country will see one of its few sources of independent news kneecapped. The move is widely seen as an attempt to silence the media, not any concern over investment by a U.S. company, you know, it's a U.S. multinational, frankly, in a Polish uh, entity. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? Uh, it's a big deal, uh, both for you know, democracy rights and for Poland and for media companies. There's perfectly reasonable concern to say you don't want to have people in other countries hoeing a majority stake of most of the media in your country and things like that. That's a reasonable thing to talk about. And there are rules in the EU about non-EU countries. This isn't about that. This is about them saying they don't like this media outlet. It's independent and they want to shut it up. Uh, in fact, there's a government controlled state TV. They only show speeches in parliament from the government party. <laughs> Meaning if the opposition party has a speech in parliament, they don't show that. <laughs> Can you imagine? They just don't show them. You want to hear the Democrats? Sorry, out of luck. The camera got turned off. TVN24 shows all speeches by all parties in parliament, a la C-SPAN. That's just one of the many things they do. Discovery suing. Uh, we'll have to see where it ends up. But it's, you know, you're a big multinational company. It gets very complicated when you own companies in China and, ta and Taiwan and Poland and Hungary. It's a big, big headache, isn't it? Well, the tech world right now is is going through the same thing in China, as, as you mentioned, because mm -hmm. China's kind of coming in and saying, hey, you can't list your company on the New York Stock Exchange because oh. you have to list it here in China, where oh. basically a share isn't worth anything because we're the, <laughs> we're the government and we could come in and actually and have come in and said, you know what, actually, no, we own this company or we own, uh, you know, we own a majority of this or, or we're taking ownership away. So really what it's done is it's made all of these Chinese companies realize how difficult it is to do business even in their own country. Yeah. So it's a bit of a problem when a, a government comes in and starts taking ownership away and, and controlling the ownership of, of companies as, as is always the case. Now the Broadway musical funny girl, I know that's a hard transition, but that's what we're going to be talking about now. It is finally being revived six decades after it turned Barbara Streisand into a star forever. She's still a star from Funny Girl. The show was turned into a lumbering movie that garnered Streisand her first Oscar, but for some reason, it hasn't been revived ever since. 
It has several big hits, notably the showstopper Don't Rain on My Parade. Tell me not to. Okay, I won't do it. Keep going. Yeah, I, I, I'm always saying Don't Rain on My Parade every day. I'm like <laughs> telling one person or another, please, Don't Rain on My Parade. So the score, that's not the problem, okay? That ain't the problem. If it's the book, Harvey Firestein is going to give it a polish, so that, that'll be okay. An earlier revival in 2012 starring Lauren Ambrose lost its financial backing, and Leah Michelle of Glee surely believed starring in a revival of Funny Girl was her birthright. I'm pretty much sure she went, look, it's on my birth certificate right here. We'll star in Funny Girl at age 32. <laughs> uh, but in any case, the plum part is going to Beanie Feldstein. Big deal or big whoop? Uh, it's a big whoop, of course, in the scheme of things, but it's interesting to hear. I've never seen it. I've seen the movie but I've never seen it on stage. It's never been revived. I've never seen it in community theater or somewhere else. So I'm intrigued uh, from the movie. I'm not that excited because it's not that good a movie. She's great in it, uh, but it's a great part. There's some great songs and Harvey Firestein is doing the book. So if it needs an overhaul, by God, he's the guy to do it. That makes sense. And a friend of mine said, well, you know, I was like, oh my God, Lee Michelle didn't get it. Lee Michelle didn't get it. My jaw had dropped. And they're like, well, Beanie Feldstein's a bigger star. I'm like, what? And I'm thinking, on Broadway, I don't know, because Leah Michelle, she was in Spring Awakening, and she was, I'm like, uh, actually, you know, you look at Beanie Feldstein right now, uh, she's playing Monica Lewinsky in American Crime Story. She just had Book Smart, a terrific movie. She's been in other good stuff with high profile, and she is the hotter property right now, I guess. And with, you know, that Monica Lewinsky thing, American Crime Story impeachment coming up, she'll be a bigger name than ever in terms of people who buy tickets to go to Broadway shows. So the show sells itself. It's a show-stopping role, and uh, be funny. To, I guess she can sing. <laughs> I hope she can sing. That'll be interesting to see. Well, one of the co-founders of the fact-checking website Snopes admits he plagiarized more than 50 articles to drive traffic to the site. Let me say that again, okay, because maybe the irony didn't kind of come across because we're not, you know, we're not on TV here. It's, it's all radio, so to speak. A website famous for fact-checking, okay, it stole news articles from other websites and published it as their own. Oops. The, the co-founder is David Mickelson. BuzzFeed broke the story. Snopes began an internal investigation and so far detailed dozens of examples of theft. Mickelson is now suspended, though he still does control 50% of the company, Snopes. A former managing editor said Mickelson did it all the time, ordered her to tell the rest of the staff to do it as well, but she refused. Mickelson's defense I didn't come from a journalism background. Is this story true or false? And where would we go to find out now? Big deal or big whoop? What did you think about his saying, well, I'm not from a journalism background. I guess I crossed the line and I own that. It's like, did you go to school? Because if you yeah. copied something out of the encyclopedia and pretended it was yours, you got an F, right? This is not complicated. You don't need to go to journalism to school to know you can't steal other people's work and pretend it's your own. The now, other I've been on that. I've been on that website before. That's and a great they website. Have actually, yeah, and they have actually said, okay, this comes from such and such website where they've said, well, you know, we're trying to prove whether something is 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 you know false. No, that's not or what we're accurate. talking about. They, they they have their fact checking, but they were also trying to turn themselves into a place where you would just go, and so they started to just create original content of stories, breaking stories, and they wanted to be quick and early. So if somebody broke a story, he would copy it, rip it off, and get it online really fast so they could say, oh, you can come here for your news stories as well, not just the fact-checking stuff. So they were trying to branch out and become a media center. And that's where they were trying to you know, rewrite stories and put it up there to get clickbait because, oh, you want to hear the latest news, you come to Snopes, not just to find out if something is true or false. 
So they shouldn't have been even trying to do so, that because so they second, don't have a so newsroom. They, and, and they weren't even doing write arounds, meaning you, you could do well, that. Not, not and enough it's done of a write around. Right. Well, not enough of a write around. Right. They, they just copied it and pretended it was their own. They didn't say, A, first reported in the other. They just took four paragraphs. Oh, yeah, no, you got to say to David Bowie and said, here's an obit of David Bowie. They stole. You can't. Oh, yeah, no, that, if, that, that's David not good. Bowie, David Bowie died and David Mickelson wrote an obit, but he didn't. He just went to other stories and cut and pasted their their obit and then put his name at the top of it. That's well, wait a stealing. second. Couldn't That's couldn't you say, well, I added to it by taking the first paragraph of the New York Times obit and the second paragraph of no, the Wall Street no, Journal obit and the third paragraph. <laughs> I put them all together. You wouldn't have thought of doing that. Therefore, I added to the creativity of the, right. uh, of the obit. Yeah. yeah, he didn't go to uh, journalism school. He didn't realize stealing was wrong. I mean, for the love of God. Um, but anyway, they shouldn't have been doing that in the first place. Here's well, I didn't go to business school. So when I rob a bank, okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> Here's the only thing I want to say. People keep reporting this about the allegations. Of play, like no, he admits it. He says yes, I did this. So they're not allegations anymore. He plagiarized. Same thing okay. with Louis C.K. Louis C.K. is now touring the country, and in a review, like I want to say the Times, but I don't know where it was. Maybe one of the trades. I don't know where it was, but they were like, well, he's you know the allegations of sexual misconduct, and, and Louis C.K. later admitted the allegations were true. I'm like, yes, they're not allegations anymore. He masturbated in front of women. He sexually masturbated over the phone with them when they didn't want him to. That's not an allegation anymore. He said, I did that. So don't call them allegations. They're not. He did it. It was wrong. <laughs> so if someone admits it, you get to say they did it. Yes, I killed my wife. Well, he allegedly killed his wife. No, he says, I killed my wife. Anyway. Well, you know, Scarlett Johansson is saying, yes, I sued Disney. <laughs> Yes, and that is our topic for Inside Baseball this week. And it's not about the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit per se. Now, Inside Baseball is where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and, more importantly, how they affect you. I and got we're this. Talking, I got this. Oh, you got, you got this. I got okay. this because you got reporting to talk about. You've spoken to people. So Disney and Scarlett Johansson in a big war of words. She is suing them because of how they released the film, felt that it was an abrogation of their good faith effort to give a wide release. She's now cheated out of all these bonuses that she would normally get. Disney says tough and also made some obnoxious public comments about it, like how dare she ask for more money? Don't she know there's a pandemic going on? It's a big issue in Hollywood right now. A few days later, guess what? Disney announces, we're doing a sequel to Cruella, Cruella 2 with actress Emma Stone. Free Guy opens up. They say, oh my gosh, Free Guy opened to 28 million. A week earlier, the Suicide Squad opened to 26 million and everyone said, oh, it's a disaster. The next week, Free Guy opens to 28 million and everyone says, oh, it's a success because we thought it would make 21 million, but it made 28 million. So this film is a huge hit. And Disney said, we're making a sequel to Free Guy. Ryan Reynolds announced it to people just as soon as it opened up. And I thought, isn't that funny? They've got bad PR from this war of words from slapping down Scarlett Johansson when unnecessarily. And suddenly, a few days later, they're announcing a bunch of sequels with big stars to say to the world, hey, look, everybody likes us. Everything's fine. We're doing fine. Everybody wants to work with us. We've got Emma Stone in a movie. So everything must be okay. That was my immediate thought. What did you say, Sperling? I said, well, I was expecting Disney to start making deals with actors at mm -hmm. different agencies. So we should mention that Scarlett Johansson is represented by Creative Artists Agency. I expected 
that they would cut a deal, whether it was for an upcoming movie or one that had been released in the past that was released day and date, that they would do so for ICM, which is another big agency, another big Hollywood agency representing lots of talent, including, by the way, Emma Stone. And William Morris, again, a huge agency, represents lots of talent. It's William Morris Endeavor, I should say. And maybe somebody from UTA. Why? Because they can't fight all of the agencies who are all trying to get into the back pocket to get residual payments for streaming, which is what this ultimately is trying to get. Yes, Scarlett Johansson got maybe, uh, you know, her bonuses got interrupted due to the day and date nature of it. And yes, that in part was due to the pandemic, but they quickly realized, you know what, we better cut some deals. We can't cut a deal with anybody at CAA because that'll kind of give away. But they're not going to not make deals with people at CAA until the lawsuit is over. Uh, it'll be interesting the, to the see. Lawsuit, if they, the lawsuit they, will be going on for two years unless they just settle out of court. I have I mean, a feeling they're going to settle now. Well, they're going right, to settle. Right. But they're, they're, you, are you feeling like we're talking within weeks they're going to settle? They're going to have to fork over cash to her if they do, because otherwise she'll just keep suing. Yeah, I have a feeling that uh, I would say by maybe the beginning of next year, the whole thing will be worked out. So you think in the next six months, they're not going to make any deals with CAA actors or directors or anybody? Uh, maybe that doesn't not, seem possible. No. Really? Not deals for films that were released day and date. Well, we don't know how Cruella 2 is being because, released. Oh, and Free Guy well, is and, being released theatrically exclusive. So we don't know what the deal is for the sequel. Yeah. Oh, by the way, can we just point out, oh, color me shocked. You release a movie that cannot be viewed at home. <laughs> like okay, Free Guy. And, it do- and like Free Guy. And it does better in the theater. I'm just, I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked, I tell you. Right. But let, let's just, you know, go back to the fact that Emma Stone and Ryan Reynolds, they both had make goods done on their first movies, Free Guy and Cruella. Why and then, would, okay, why would he need a make good? Because it was open theatrical yeah, I exclusively. Get that. I agree with you. I don't get it. I so you're really saying you spoke to people and they said they handed them a pile of cash and said, okay, we know, Emma, you got a little screwed by Cruella that went to PVOD. Is that right? Yeah, this is more Emma Stone, by the way, that right. did, got the make right. good. I so should she say. got a make good for Cruella because that was not released theatrically. And of course, it didn't hit whatever targets it might have. And they owed her money, just like they owe her uh, Scarlett Johansson money. And they said, all right, we'll make good for that. Here's a pile of cash. And here's another pile of cash to make a sequel because we're really happy with how the movie did. And we assume that that new contract says something like, hey, we can put this on PVOD if we want, or if we do it that, you know, they've got all, everybody's paying attention now to how you're going to release the movie, and that's going to be in the contract. Either they're guaranteeing a theatrical exclusive, or they're saying, we have the right to take it PVOD, in which case, you get more money. You know? Right. And I would say that if they don't take the deal, that if, if Disney goes to Scarlett Johansson and offers her more money, and they're not going to take it, then it's going all the way to trial because it's the only way for Scarlett Johansson to win because otherwise it'll be arbitrated and she won't win in arbitration. Well, that's what she has to win. In tr- she has to win, uh, win first the right to go to trial and not be in arbitration, correct? Correct. That is the first thing that she would have to, right. to win. And why is it assumed that she wouldn't win if it's in arbitration? Because they'll just uh, fall back on... Well, you're right. You're absolutely right because both the 20th Century Fox uh, X Files case and there was uh, one with Bones as well. Bones, yeah. 
they were both arbitration cases and they both lost. Yeah. The studio bo- lost both times. Uh, so the big I, advantage I guess there, I think, is that they avoid less public exposure to what's going on, right? Correct. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Well, so Disney's trying to make some good press for themselves. They're trying to make deals with other agencies to separate them away from CAA because they're still trying to figure out how to deal with Scarlet. And they can say, hey, look, big celebrities like us. But then they had an earnings call and Bob Chapek had sort of an unforced error, I would call it. First, Disney mocked Scarlett Johansson and tried to shame her for demanding more money that she felt she was deserved, and quite rightly so. Then he describes releasing the upcoming Marvel movie Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings with a 45-day theatrical window. So like Free Guy, this movie will be a theatrical exclusive for 45 days, and he called that, quote, an interesting experiment. What he said was, to the earnings call, talking to the business people, On Shang-Chi, said Bob Chapek, we think it's actually going to be an interesting experiment for us because it's got only a 45-day window for us. So the prospect of being able to take a Marvel title to the streaming service after going theatrical at 45 days will be yet another data point to inform our actions going forward on all our titles. Can I I just weigh in here? Mm -hmm. Um, I I could do it very quickly. No, it won't. Right. Pandemic. Well, it will not be another day Pandemic, point. right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's hard to tell what that would do in the in uh, regular circumstances. So pandemic, Correct. that's problem number one. Number two, what he's saying is somewhat reasonable. He's trying to say, oh, we, you know, we haven't released a Marvel movie like this with a 45-day window yet. Free Guy's not a Marvel movie. This is a known property to a degree, even though it's a, like Doctor Strange. It's not the best known Marvel title. But yeah, that is providing them an interesting data point for their actions because they say going forward, maybe we'll want to do some movies, premium video on demand, day and date. Maybe others will have a 45-day exclusive. Maybe others will, whatever. You know, there, There's all sorts of possibilities opened up. But the star of Shang-Chi, uh, Simu Liu, did not take well to this. He went on Twitter. No, because like ev- everybody mm-hmm. in Hollywood thought, wait, it's an interesting experiment. Why? Because it's he, it's, a, it's a movie with Asian stars? Like, like that was the first thing everybody thought. Of course. And Mulan, of course, went to premium video on demand to Disney Plus, didn't even have a theatrical release. That was their one of their big live action movies, all Asian cast, big push forward. And that ended up going straight to premium video on demand. So now you have Shang-Chi being released 45-day exclusive, and the star says, we are not an interesting experiment. We are the underdog, the underestimated. We are the ceiling breakers. We are the celebration of culture and joy that will persevere after an embattled year. We are the surprise. I'm fired the F up to make history on September 3rd. Join us. End quote. So now he's mostly positive there. And he's telling Darth Vader, join us (laughs) as we make history. He's mostly being positive there. And uh, Simu Liu is saying, look, you know, they're underestimating you guys. Come out and support this movie. Show them that there's big fan base for a a film starring an Asian star and based on, you know, Shang-Chi. You know, show them. But he's also quoting back to the head of Disney, his own words, and saying, no, we are not an interesting experiment. Not a good thing to have. Obviously not a happy camper exactly. And guess what? When Bob Chapek said that, that was just as Free Guy was being released as a 45-day window. Not a Marvel movie, but it's a big potential franchise starring a big star with a 45-day exclusive theatrical window amidst the pandemic. Why didn't he call that one an interesting experiment? Well, it stars a white guy, doesn't it? Yeah, so, well, here's the thing. You know, uh, you mentioned clueless. Doctor Strange. Yeah. Doctor Strange, okay? 
Here's a Marvel movie where I was like, Doctor Strange is a is a superhero. I didn't have never even heard of that guy. But then yep. again, I'd never heard of Iron Man either, really. Yep. I mean, I kind of knew there was an Iron Man, but I didn't really know there was an Iron Man because I'm not a big comic book fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, who is this Iron Man? Is he like Superman or like Spider-Man, but like with iron? Anyway, how much do you think Doctor Strange opened to in 2016? I don't know, but I think it made like $800 million. It made $677.8 million exactly. And it opened in its first weekend in North America alone to $85.1 million. So. And eight times, it made like eight times its budget. I mean, opening weekend, it made eight times multiple of what it opened to. So great, great opening and great legs. Yeah. So I would say your exper- here's the experiment. Can you still make $85 million releasing a Marvel movie? Granted, Benedict Cumberbatch was a well-known no, entity. Yeah, but not, he's not a, he wasn't a big star. That was by far, he'd never carried a movie before. You know, he's a TV star. Wasn't that, he, didn't he already win an Oscar for like playing? Uh, yeah, but he wasn't, he wasn't carrying movies. He wasn't a big movie star. You know, he was an actor. He was Sherlock Holmes. He was a big hit TV show, but you know, not a big movie star. He's not, you know, that was when a big st- step up for him. And he's never when did he star in that movie with the the thing where where he the you know the 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 counting machine the the computer well, the, that's not a big movie the code breaker the that's but he not, won an Academy Award for it the Imitation Game he was nominated for Best Actor no it wasn't that one yeah it was uh, nominated for Best Actor playing Alan Turing right Turing that's it yes Turing right. that's yeah. the word I was yeah well, so it was the Imitation Game so he didn't yeah. win an act and, he didn't and, win and it's not a good movie. And it wasn't okay. a, it was a, it was a commercial success for sure. Made two hundred thirty million dollars worldwide. Great for that type of movie. But anyway, they've had other Marvel movies with not big name stars and do quite well. You know, turning these actors into stars by being in these movies. Robert Downey Jr. was on the downslope for sure when he did Iron Man. So that's not the experiment. The forty five day window is an experiment. They just did it this week. Did he piss off theater owners by talking about it as being a cute experiment? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, basically what you're seeing here is what people feared with when Bob Chapek was named the CEO. They thought, okay, well, you know, give him a chance. You know, uh, Bob Iger has been looking to retire for a while now. So let's see how, how Bob Chapek does. He he worked his way up. He worked in uh, home entertainment. He worked in the theme parks and he worked in, you know, hotels and, and cruise ships and all that. So let's see how he does. Uh, and it's abundantly clear he has no experience with the media and even less with talent. Yeah, and that's important. Uh, the theme parks, by the way, just showed a profit uh, for the first time in, in uh, over a year, thanks to uh, coming back online a bit. So the theme parks are actually made money last quarter uh, that they just reported. So that's a good sign. These are not fatal errors. This is not, he's not destroying Disney. He can learn from this if he's willing to learn from it. There may be issues also in the communications department. It's not clear to us uh, what's going on there. He had to sign off on everything, though. He's responsible for the public statement released slapping down Scarlett Johansson when it was absolutely unnecessary. And here he is at the earnings call, not saying something egregiously bad, but it's dumb. It's ham-fisted, and it was unnecessary. So it's an unearned error. So it's too bad. Hopefully he'll learn from it. Or he'll get angry and defensive and double down and say, who cares about these stupid stars? We're done with Black Widow anyway. That would be the wrong thing to do. So hold on, I'm just making a note not to, okay, who cares about these two? I'm just going to call them later and say, hey, Bob, Bob, don't, you know, just let, let your spokesperson Yeah, call. Ca- call us, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, as a matter of fact, if you call us, 
you can call us eight one eight hundred. No, what is it? Eight 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 five six seven sand. That's eight 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 five six seven seven two six three. You can also email us dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D I R T at showbizsandbox.com. We're on Twitter where our our handle is at showbizsandbox, and we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. I forgot hey, do, to do, do that last week. I forgot yeah. to do that during the show. Uh, it's not like uh, I, I dropped the ball and I, I feel terrible. I know, I know. Well, you know what? Uh, uh, how can I? How can I make it up to you? Uh, I'm a dead man walking here, uh, making a mistake like that. I feel terrible. I feel terrible. Oh my god! I can't you with the dead man walking and then the, and the segues into obituaries. Okay, look, Neil Cohen would not have made that. It's no. by the way, it's Neil Conan, not Neil Cohen. Oh, I it's Neil Neil Conan. Uh, he died at the age of 71. Uh, he is a public radio uh, legend, really. Frankly, I mean, I, I was surprised he was only 71. I felt like, well, how was he only 71? I've been listening to him for 40 years. That can't possibly be true. That means he started when he was 10. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I, I thought he, sorry, I, I messed that up because I thought he was like 91. You know, I thought he, he must have already been a, a, uh, a, a legend going, when I started listening Tell to us him. who he is. In any case. Well, he, he worked for NPR, National Public Radio. He did a lot of their uh, uh, Talk of the Nation uh, was, was the big show he was on for, for years. And he did uh, All Things Considered. He helped shape that show, in fact. And his signature show, again, with Talk of the Nation, which he co-hosted for 12 years. And by the way, he retired to Hawaii where he uh, began you know, growing macadamia nuts. And then went to work for Hawaii Public Radio. <laughs> Once yes. in radio, always in radio. So uh, a legend, if you heard his voice, you'd recognize it. If you saw Pat Hitchcock, the actor, you probably may not recognize her. She died at the age of 93, but you'd recognize her dad. You'd even recognize his silhouette. She is the daughter of director Alfred Hitchcock, and she died, yes, at 93. Now, savvy film buffs will note she's also the daughter of screenwriter and film editor Alma Reveal, who was married to Hitch for 54 years and a key creative partner. Now, Pat had some big roles in three Broadway shows in the 40s and 50s. People don't give those to you just because you're Alfred Hitchcock's daughter. She also did radio and almost broke into TV in a big way until pregnancy derailed that. She played bit parts in a number of episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, as well as small parts in Psycho, Stage Fright, and most notably, Strangers on a Train. Still a small role, but there she was. Her best work may be the book Alma Hitchcock, The Woman Behind the Man, which gave her mother the creative due she deserved. And Pat Hitchcock once said she wished her father, quote, had believed in nepotism. I'd have worked a lot more, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least she had a, a sense of humor about it. Yep. But, uh, you know, our next person, you might, the, the name might sound familiar, but he was a big behind the scenes player in the record business for at least two decades and a big name behind some of the biggest albums of all time, including Who? Born in the USA. Who? Who? Walter Yetnikoff, he was the head of CBS Records. He convinced Sony, in fact, to buy CBS Records, and then he couldn't convince them not to fire him, apparently, because <laughs> he did get fired by Sony. Eventually. Yeah. Do you want to tell us more about him? Eh, what's a little payola among friends? Like Clive Davis, Walter Yetnikoff was a lawyer turned music exec. Colorful? You bet. He was more colorful than a lot of his acts. Boisterous, pushy, almost thuggish at times. But he was the head of CBS from 1975 to 1990, the era of blockbuster albums that spun off one hit single after another. He stole James Taylor from Warner Brothers, 
So Warner Brothers stole Paul Simon from CBS. It was that kind of era. Uh, his A&R people insisted he signed Michael Jackson to a deal. He didn't want to. Like, no, sign this kid. We really think he's not. Uh, yeah. First came off and the he, wall. He turned to them and said, I was going to say, he turned to them and said, that's such an off the wall idea. And <laughs> Michael Jackson yeah, that's a good name. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that name. First came off the wall, which was a monster smash. Then came Thriller. In fact, Yetnikoff famously threatened to pull all of CBS's music videos from MTV until they played Michael Jackson's video, Billie Jean. The video, Billie Jean, MTV had a color code. They were not playing music by black artists. And CBS said, look, you're not going to have any of our videos if you don't play this damn video. They did, and of course, history was made. Uh, the color barrier on MTV fell once and for all. Prince says, thank you. He had Springsteen and Billy Joel and Barbara Streisand when they had their biggest hit albums. He launched Cindy Lauper and Gloria Stefan. He fought to get Billy Joel's publishing rights back for him and presented them to Joel at a birthday party. Everybody was happy. Then... A book detailing Payola and Yetnikov's less savory behavior freaked out his new bosses at Sony. They're like, hey, we know the Yakuza, but what's all this with the American mafia? And so suddenly Yetnikov was out. But it was fun while it lasted. You know, he was also uh, kind of heavily into, like, he lived the sex, drugs, and rock and roll uh, lifestyle, specifically the drugs that. and alcohol. I don't know that. Do you? Yeah. Oh, no, no. He, he he talks about it in his book. He had, oh. he had a, uh, a, a, I think it was called Howling at the Moon, the Odyssey of a Monstrous Music Mogul in an Age of Excess. That was his autobiography, <laughs> written with David uh, Ritz. Then and, and, Tommy Matola, who basically took over Sony Music when mm -hmm. he was ousted, uh, uh, said, look, in 1989, Yetnikov went to, uh, he went to rehab and, uh, you know, Yetnikov was abrasive in the best of times. Okay. <laughs> and so in his own book, uh, in this is Matola's book, that book was called Hitmaker, the man and his music, the man being of course, Tommy Matola. He wrote the treatment center had removed the alcohol and drugs from Walter's life but not the underlying problems that Walter that made Walter basically had been using them to anesthetize, basically saying, look, yeah, yeah he wasn't drinking and drugging anymore, but he was still kind of a pain in the neck to deal with. Oh, I know that well. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I, I know that. Yeah. Just because you just because you stop drinking doesn't mean you're not still a jerk. <laughs> exactly. Look at me. I still have anger issues. Yes. Well, and one other person died this week. Grammy winning singer Nancy Griffith died at the age of 68. Uh, details are sketchy since she requested no info be released for at least a week after she died about how she died or why. But in the past, she did survive breast cancer and also thyroid cancer. So we assume, unfortunately, was some sort of cancer. The idea, I suppose, is that we celebrate her life and music rather than detail her death from whatever it might be. Good for her. She duetted with everyone. I'm looking at the list. And yes, she duetted with everyone in country and folk music. Everyone cool, that's for sure. And she provided backup vocals to countless recordings, much like her fellow artist, Amy Lou Harris. She helped make famous Julie Gold's song, From a Distance which Bette Midler made famouser. And among her many great songs that she penned are Once in a Very Blue Moon and Love at the Five and Dime. Uh, I still hear, hear that song for the first time at my friend's house in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, off the live album One Fair Summer Evening. And if you're looking for somewhere to start with Nancy Griffith, that's a good place to go. So uh, a talent, a really good songwriter, a lovely singer, and a uh, shame to see her go. Well, and we have to go at least for uh, two, two weeks. The first two, weeks. two weeks, yes. Because Sperling yes. is too busy for us. Sperling well, has you know what? better things to do. 
If you subscribe to our show in any one of the podcast aggregators out there, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Google Podcasts, whether it's Microsoft's podcast, I don't even know what Microsoft is using these days, Stitcher, you can subscribe to us in Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free. It's free. You can rate and review us in some of those podcast aggregators, and it helps us out when you do. If you subscribe to us, you won't miss our next show. And so please do subscribe to us. In fact, you can find those ways to subscribe to us on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find links to email us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or call us, 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. Or you can find us on Twitter, at showbizsandbox is our handle, or like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. Again, all that information is on showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT, who can be found on their own website, who is mgmt.com. Michael Gilt has a website, and every week, something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? This week, it's going up. Dot com, which is not available. Apparently, you can track visitors and monitor sales and improve your search strategies by going to goingup.com, but I'm not trying to promote them. That's a line at the end of Love at the Five and Dime, which is a, a great song. And so if you hear that song and hear that at the end, you, you'll get a little smile on your face. So check it out. Well, if you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry there, and apparently you can't, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com, where all of his work is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until two weeks from now, play nice. (laughs) 